0: Hello and welcome to the podcast on the work of Byron Katie. This is Ernest from theartofbeinghuman.com and I just realized that it's been more than five years since I last recorded a podcast. But now I'm back with this new series of questions and answers and I really hope you find it to be helpful. This time I'm talking to Keith Lee, and together we cover a lot of specific and technical ground around doing the work including the difference between holding the work as a procedure or as a space of exploration, what it means to have an agenda as facilitator, living turnarounds, underlying beliefs, and the importance of taking our time when we do the work. I hope you enjoy listening and that these questions and answers support you in your practice.
1: In introducing the work... Katie said, it is a way to find peace with yourself and the world. Many people, myself included, when they first came to the work, believed what that meant was with enough practice, enough worksheets, and enough inquiry, they would find themselves in a place of enlightenment, a continual state of happiness. But finding peace with yourself can mean something more attainable than a house in Shangri-La. You explain this really well by expanding upon the title of Katie's first book, Loving What Is. Would you go into that now, please? Yeah,
0: yeah, for sure. (laughs) I I think it's, um, I I totally agree. I think, um, uh It's very natural and normal to come to the work and, and many other modalities with this uh, desire to for enlightenment, right to, to get to that shangri-la as you call it. Yeah. Or, um, and and yeah, um, and and I think that the trouble is that what many people myself included when I when I went into the work originally uh, see as that, Uh, end result is a story about like looking at people like Katie and then thinking, okay, she is above all these emotional, all the emotional turmoil. She doesn't have any negative feeling in her body. She's just always on top. There's this idea that somehow all of that goes away. And, 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 and what that does is it makes us, at least in my experience from myself and people I've worked with, tend to try to wage war against or battle with or struggle against any like inconvenient or negative or uh, unsuitable emotion that doesn't fit this image of the master or the enlightened one. And and in doing that, we push a lot of stuff out into the shadow, uh, or whatever we call it, but push okay. it out of like our <laughs> conscious identity and, and self awareness. And then and that's what we used the work for in the beginning very much to try to get this under control and perfect ourselves and do all of that. And then in my experience, at some point, we begin to realize that that's not a sustainable way because these things, pushing them into the shadow or into the basement or out of conscious awareness doesn't mean they go away. We just get better at trying to control them, but they're still there. Right. And and for me, um, uh, it's definitely the case that the that the big sort of Uh, like one, one very important moment of clarity, and it's not so much a moment as it's a process, right? But, but seeing that it's not about removing these feelings and states and and thoughts, it's about welcoming them in. And it's by dancing with them, that we can uh, find our way to be with them, not by trying to keep them uh, away. So, so what I realized um, was that it was not about, and that's, that's where I quote Katie's book, right? I, I say right. it's not called like, perfect, like um, perfecting yourself until you become lovable enough to be lovable or something. Right. It's called loving what is, which includes all of these apparently deficiencies and, and apparent deficiencies and, and faults and, and problems. And, and that the piece we're looking for is not in attaining some sort of perfected version of a human being, but it comes from owning or welcoming or allowing in, back in, I would say, into our, the totality of what we are, all of these abandoned ones, all of these orphaned ones that we left behind for various reasons along the way. So for me, the process of the work then shifts from being this, you know, let me kill all the orphaned ones uh, oh, I can't. That's annoying. They keep showing up to becoming. Let me welcome them back in. So I become more whole so that it's not uh, so that when something happens, someone says something that activates an emotion in me that I have difficulties handling, then I get all like busy moving away from it or pushing him away or doing spiritual bypassing, lifting myself, abandoning this situation and lifting myself out. It's okay. I can be with this. I can. It's within my window of tolerance to feel this emotion right now. And, and as we do that, we realize they're not dangerous. There's no danger in feeling uncomfortable feelings. It's just like hunger. If if we have never felt hunger before, we will we would be shocked at that emotional ex- or that body sensation of hunger. It's like, oh, something's wrong with me, I'm dying. But because we've tried it so many times, we would we'd never get surprised or shocked by hunger. It's just, oh, okay, I could eat now, I could wait an hour, it's, it's okay. And it can become the same with, with pain, suffering, you know, jealousy, right.
1: fear, all right. of these
0: things can become things that we acknowledge they're there and, and we can be with them and stay connected to ourselves and others while they're there. And in that, I think, uh, what Katie explains is that, that the thought comes, often like combined with an emotion comes, and then that question meets it and then they drop away. She's not saying yeah. it never comes. She says it just automatically is met by, is it true? And as she sees through it, it drops away,
1: right.
0: um, which is not the same as you never have any, you never notice this right. or you never feel right. this or you're above right. all of that. Mm-hmm.
1: And ironically, trying to distract ourselves from those kinds of emotions or you know, run away from them, ironically, it just keeps them with us. And um, you have said, you know, through the work you've ad- advocated as you just said, holding space, for those dis- discomforting emotions. And what I would like to know is how would you teach us, how does the work teach us to do that, to get there, to be able to sit with, with panic, mm. to be able to sit with um, fear?
0: Yeah. Well, so, so I, I want to just um, uh, point out that the work doesn't teach anything, right? Uh The work are just four questions and turnarounds. That's all the work is. There is no teaching. There's no philosophy built in. There's no rules to follow. There are no expectations of anything. It's just these questions that invite you into an inquiry. Now, having said that, what seems to be the case is that when people start using these questions to, to look into themselves... Some things seems to show up on a pretty consistent basis across the board. So, so they seem to open up to um, a way of being in the world that has some similarities <clears throat> across different people's psycho- psychologies. And so um, one thing that I that I think is often missed when we when we work with the work is that emotional aspect. Um, we tend, no, we don't necessarily tend to but there, there seems to be a tendency that we, we perceive it as a mainly cognitive process uh, akin to cognitive therapy or, or other things like that, primarily centered in the head and in the thinking processes and and um, and what I advocate or, or, or claim is that for the work to really work we need to embrace our entire nervous system, which involves the body and all the emotions that live there so, so that it is a, uh, a complete involvement of our nervous system, not just our cognitive functions. And so um, what I then uh, emphasize when I work as a trainer is to, when something shows up with an emotional content, not do that thing we do in everyday life of skipping past or moving quickly through, but, but doing the opposite, slowing down and allowing it to have space and to empty itself out which is often how it feels we, you mentioned panic so we in question three we are with like how do i react what happens will i panic and then we step into that experience and then we can sit with that and that can be two five ten fifteen minutes um for me when when i work myself these days i would say you know when i'm being facilitated with by friends it's it's like 20 percent of the time is spent with words and 80% or so is spent in silence. Just, just being with these inner experiences or journeys or, or movies or whatever, allowing them in, allowing them to empty themselves out and, and, and teaching my nervous system that it's okay to be with them, that, that I don't have to run away or fight against them or freeze or whatever, whatever reaction. But so, so what I emphasize is when anything like that shows up, be with it. Welcome it in. Allow it. Feel your way through it. Touch into it, uh, and then, uh, and then move on. And that's how that's that's how I would say that that's like a thing I really emphasize when I teach or train the work because it seems to be missed by many uh, who who just read a book or listen to Katie or or like mm-hmm. see the work in action in other ways.
1: Okay. Um, so you you said. The, the purpose of the work, the process, the purpose of the process is to move us into something deeper, an awareness and a welcoming. And one example that you give of how to get there is listening for underlying beliefs. So what are underlying beliefs and how do you address them in the in the process? hmm.
0: Um, what are underlying beliefs? I would say they are beliefs. First of all, they're beliefs we're usually not aware of. So, so, um, we may be aware of, of one part of what we're believing around the situation. And then when we start talking about it or explaining about it, all these things, uh, all these beliefs show up that, that we hadn't identified as beliefs because they are still, they still seem so, um, uh, it's like you, you, you can't see your own eye. They, 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 they are so obviously true to us that, that we can't even identify them as beliefs. Uh, they're just facts about the world, we think, right? And some of them are benign, like, you know, based on some of our assumptions, the earth is round. That's like, that's just an underlying belief. That, that lies under so much of our thinking when we talk about the, the sun sets in the West, for instance, right? So, so there is an underlying belief there, a whole understanding of how the universe works that we learned in school and so on and so forth. So, so so our whole world is made out of beliefs in a way. And some of them we are aware of in a certain situation, so we can identify them as beliefs. And, and those are typically the ones we say, let's work on, I want to work on this belief. But then there is supporting beliefs or underlying beliefs that, that, that hold this belief up. Some of them are completely like, yeah, benign, non, non-problematic. They are not causing any difficulties for us. They are just like assumptions about the world. But some of these assumptions then actually can hold part of the problem that we are trying to work on. And as a facilitator, uh, uh, I listen for those when I facilitate someone. Uh, they stick out for me as I as we are working on one thing, the, the client might say something that, that actually reveals an important belief structure that is sometimes even more relevant than or more fundamental than the belief we are working on. Mm-hmm. Uh, so 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 an example would be someone is working on their aging parent and are sad because, you know, she can't do what she used to be able to do or whatever. And then they might say, and of course, you know, quality of life diminishes by age. And, and I can see that in her, that it's not what it used to be, right? So there's, there's a, a belief there, quality of life diminishes by age, which it could be relevant to bring up. Or they say, you know, um, yeah, I feel really annoyed, but of course, I don't tell her that. Right? So, so instead, I do this or that. And there, like, w- of course, you don't tell her that. W- what's that? What are the underlying beliefs there yeah. that means, well, I can't tell her she'll get distraught or she's too old to hear that or it's, it's my job to help her not, not make her sad yeah. or, you know, it's good to keep things to yourself. They're all kind. that's a whole underworld of beliefs that may be the actual problem in this relationship because that's why I never tell my mother my truth because I think she must be protected from real life because right. she's so old and frail. And so that's why we are growing apart. It's not actually because she's old, it's because I'm holding back because of the beliefs I have about her aging. And those beliefs are, are not expressed in my worksheet or in my work, they, they, because they are the foundation for everything else. But then as a facilitator, mm-hmm. if I hear that, and if it seems relevant, I might say, what do you mean that, of course, you don't tell her this? What, what, what's that about? And right. then, which brought up into awareness, and ooh, we can certainly work on that. Right. And in yeah. that way, we can sort of continue to have to go into layers and layers that are that are. It it feels like deeper, and and you can never know like what's deeper, what's higher, but but it does feel like deeper layers of of structure in the mm-hmm. in the understanding. Uh, and it's not because going deeper is necessarily better or more important, just like going back in time is not necessarily better, just like going to painful emotions is not necessarily better. And sometimes it can be very relevant to look, mm-hmm. to look in those directions.
1: That, that sort of leads into my, my next question that um, there are quite a few practitioners of the work who see it as a very specific process, you know, four questions and the turnarounds and only certain sub-questions in number three. And you were just talking about underlying beliefs and then exploring those instead of, you know, what was stated as the stressful belief. And you um, posit that there's a cost to following the rules of the work, Um, like, Whose business, and you can only do the work this certain way. Um, so, would you would you talk about what that what that is? What I mean, your philosophy about that. And... Mm, yeah, I think you've said that the cost of following the rules, the cost of it is is sometimes losing the aliveness.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Of the uh, of the moment.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's true. I, I think for me, the the work, first of all, the work is a specific form of inquiry, of self inquiry, and and self inquiry is is a broader uh, is a broader term we could say that covers many different ways of looking into ourselves, and. And um, And to me, it's the inquiry part that's the important part. So, so the work is a very wonderful process and, and especially the, 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 the turnaround, the concept or the, the use of turnarounds is unique to the work and, and, and just so amazing in my eyes, and one of the reasons why it's my preferred method, um, because they hold such precision. Um, and uh, and to me the work and inquiry is a space we enter into it's it's a, it's a it's a space it's both a relational space it's an internal space it's a mental space a psychological space of self inquiry and and that space has its own um, the work the work only only using the work in that very direct way that you describe as like the path, just going through these questions, right. only doing the sub questions that are like on, on today's list. Uh, right. and, and Katie has even been removing them and right. and going into um, the, the specific turnarounds is in a way, It, to me, it's a bit. Uh, this is the image that comes up. Like I've been in these caves. Sometimes you go, you go somewhere, you know, on a on a trip. Back when we used to to travel the world, and, and there would be this trip into a cave, and there are these huge caves, and then there is this rope that leads through it, and some brick, and you, and sometimes like a path you can walk, and you walk through these caves that way, and someone has prepared that way with many different um, perspectives in mind, both we want to get you past the important parts, but we also want to avoid that you go in one way and have to go out the same way. So maybe we'll skip something over there to give a better total. Right. So so uh-huh. so going in with, with uh-huh. only the, the manuscript of the work is like following right. that. But these caves are gigantic and sometimes there can be a little opening that you can crawl through and you can come into something even bigger that no right. one had discovered right. yet, not right. even the person right. who made the path. So so especially in the beginning when you go cave exploring, you know it's good to follow that path clearly because it keeps you like, you, you don't lose your, you don't get lost in the cave. You, you can, right. but when, when, when you've done that enough times, you begin to understand something about the structure of caves and the way out of the cave. You know you can follow the airflow or a sense of temperature. I, I don't know enough about right, caves, right. You know, what people really do, but but you, but I'm sure there are some tools. But it will it work anyway? You know, you, you get you get to a, a level of experience where you dare to step away from the path a little bit, and look into a side cave, and then go back and then continue, and then you do that more and yeah. more, and eventually you you get to a point where you can move pretty freely, and you don't need anyone yeah. to give yeah. you a path. Um, yeah, that's
1: and, a and, great. And, and, yeah, I, I
0: actually like. I've never used that before, but yeah. I like that metaphor. Yeah. And and in that you will find crystals gold diamonds you know all kinds of right. stuff lying around that you won't find if you just follow the beaten path right. And I would say, especially as a facilitator who, who does this uh, professionally when people come to me often they also have their own practice of the work or have been doing it themselves and in that they've been following that path which is typical right. if, especially if they're new to the work and so what i can offer is to together with them we discover some new big caves and then they can make their path through that but now they have new caves to uncover or or explore we could say
1: right Right. and yeah so following following up on that about you know not necessarily following the path um, one of the rules one of the things that people have been a, think think has been a rule is that, that when somebody starts to go into story in question three, you're supposed to to guide them back to you know the you know what are you feeling what happens and stick on that. Yeah. But but there can be um, a benefit right in allowing the client to go into story and what what is that benefit and yeah how would that be handled? If, if you decide to do that?
0: Well, it's true, I'm not I'm not so afraid, we could say, if we use that word, of, of clients going into story. Um, I find myself uh, willing to hold them there. I think th- there are several things that, that come up around that. One is that th- something can happen to the connection. No, let me start another place. In the beginning, when you're new to the work, when it's a very new modality for you, I think it can be very helpful to be held a little tight Mm -hmm. because you don't yet know, you don't have that inner sense of when is it a story I'm getting lost in and when is it relevant to the process? That's, my experience is you develop that sense over time. There's just this feeling that this leads somewhere and this is just like spinning into something completely irrelevant. Right? So, so, so there, there, there's something to do with where is the client in their own ability to feel what's, what, what's cooking or like what part of the cave to go to, right? Um, mm-hmm. So there's that element uh, which, which often has to do with experience in the work, but it can also be something with personality types. Some people are more talkative and, and easily get lost. And so for them, it can be very helpful. And I would never say, oh, you're in story now, please come back.
1: Sure.
0: because that's not my job as a facilitator. My job is to hold the space and I can't know whether this is relevant or not. And, and I think that's an important underlying belief uh, when facilitating, I can't know what's important. So so what I can do is I can just hold up a mirror. I can raise a little flag and say, to me, it feels like you may be going into a, a, a story now. Is this relevant? Do you want to continue with that? Or do you want to go back? That can be said with fewer words. And and so it's just holding it up for the client, but leaving it to the client to decide what they want to do. So so that's like, there are different situations and the approach would to me never be forceful. It would be very inviting and open. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Now, having said that, then uh, if you keep doing that, especially if you do it in a bit of a a rough way, like following the rules kind of way. Oh, you're in story now, you have to come back. That will, that will usually, that creates like a break in the flow for the client who then suddenly becomes aware on a meta level of the facilitation situation and whether they're doing it right and and how right. they feel about it and how they feel about the facilitator. And and so having a lot of those start stop things or like pointing to, hey, we are doing a facilitation here will will sometimes take the client out of an important like embodied process, which at the moment just happens okay. to bring up this story and Mm -hmm. and and then so so I find that it's um that I prefer first of all trusting that when it comes up it may be it may very well be relevant for whatever reason there could be something Mm -hmm. there for instance some underlying beliefs that wants to be seen if we put it poetically and and by just instead of focusing on this is all wrong I really listen to the story And then what I find is there's usually a door back in that moves forward. So we don't have to have the feeling of going back or we we went away from the track, let's go back to where we were and continue. But we can more elegantly, if we we pay attention, we can hear another door that will lead back to the path further down the road in a way. So that we don't have that sense of going back, but we move forward. And, And in that, we may have moved through a side cave to go back to that metaphor that Mm -hmm. that holds relevant material and sometimes we don't know what the relevance is we just we go in there and then we hit the path further down the road and then we move forward and as we come to something later on we may discover that the example that was given in that little side path there in that little cave is actually extremely relevant now so so there's also something more fundamental in the approach which is about trusting that, that the client, that there is an intelligence at work here mm-hmm. and that, that it's not only the conscious mind that's working, but there is a huge unconscious support going on. And it is aware that mm-hmm. this is a facilitation situation. It is aware that this is an opportunity to heal something or bring back something into, mm-hmm. into back home, re, reintegrate something. And it will do a lot to support that. So we can trust that in return and say, okay, I don't know why this... Exploration into this cave right now is important, but I'm going to trust that your unconscious knows what it's doing, and so I'm going to follow you there while still, of course, listening for—or in my case, I would even say feeling for—where is the energy? Where, where, where is the relevance? Where, where should where should we mm-hmm. continue from here? Like, which door should we go through? Or which right. which opening in the cave should we right. enter to? Right, you know,
1: right. You know, right. tunnel. There.
0: Yeah. Totally.
1: Yeah. 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 Good. Thank you. Uh-huh. Um, there, there's an expression uh, short circuiting the work and it's usually it's done when people um, are doing in their heads and uh, some examples of short circuiting, short circuiting the work is like when a, when a person identifies a stressful thought and then says, is it true? And then they say no. And then boom, it's done. Yeah. You know, they don't, they don't go on. Yeah. And also, um, I think really common is people identify a stressful thought and then they go right to the turnarounds. Yes. <clears throat> so what I'd like you to speak to, and, and <clears throat> excuse me, a lot of people just go to the turnarounds because they feel that that's what works for them, that that's where they, they find the truth in the situation. Right. So what I'd like you to speak to is the value in not short-circuiting, that, and that is sitting for yeah. as long as it takes yeah. in questions three and four. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Um, well, um, there, there is something a little, uh, sometimes sometimes, especially when you're, when you're well into some work, you've been working for a while and you've really been looking into, into it, the caves, I've been exploring them. Uh, the mind is, can be open enough to do this jump straight to a turnaround mm-hmm. or to stick to just th- this underlying belief comes up and you can ask, is it true? Or you can refer back to, you've heard it earlier, this belief, so you reintroduce it and say, and so this and this and this, is that true? Uh, and then like, so you, I shouldn't tell you should never tell old people real truths <laughs> or whatever. You know, is that true? And then it's just very clear no. But that clear no comes out of having done deep work just before. Right,
1: it comes out of years of practice.
0: No, 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 in that right? session. No, I mean, in the session. So, so, so there is a worksheet. The, the, the simple version is we're working on a worksheet right. and we spend an hour working on the first just the first belief on that worksheet and we go really mm-hmm. deep and we go really far and a lot is seen and and metabolized and understood and felt in that process of an hour, an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. And at the end of that, and we see Katie do that often, we, we can we can go through the, the the worksheet and actually flip many of the statements right away
1: because they mm-hmm. have in
0: a way all been worked in in that that hour, hour and a half. Sure of deep work we did in the beginning. So they're so obvious now because we've actually touched on all of them. So in a way we've done question three and four on all of them or many of them, though we were only apparently working on one belief and some underlying beliefs.
1: Well, I'm not necessarily talking about uh, facilitation with a facilitator and a client. There are people who say do it in their head. You know, they're driving somewhere and they have a stressful thought, so they do it in their head. Yeah. And they don't really think about, you know, what happens when I have this stressful thought and who would I be without this stressful thought? they just go straight to the turnarounds. Yeah. So, um,
0: yeah, so, so let me speak more to that, right?
1: Okay.
0: So, so the point of this was to say that let's not make it a rule that you always have to go the whole way, because sometimes okay. you have done that work in in that Facilitation session or that client work—you've been sitting for an hour, an hour and a half. So it is ready to flip or be turned or just answered no to. That was what I wanted to say. So there is that element, and okay. and so let's be careful not to just make new strict rules because this is right. this is a dance or like an exploration. Right. right. Yeah. Then the, then there is that situation to describe where where there has not been a preparation or a readiness, and that's where the short circuiting comes in. And, and I think it's a beautiful example. I'm driving in the car, I have a thought and I, I jump straight to the turnaround and then I feel better. To me, that is very often at least. And, and, and I, I, This is spoken from my experience. I don't want to demonize it or make it wrong in a sense uh, okay. because for some people it may work well. So, so, but in my experience, this is more like a band-aid level uh, work, so so I I, th- I think there's a value in 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 realizing that this could be seen from another perspective, right? But it's a short term. It's like an immediate um, uh, uh, little uh, quick fix to a specific what? situation where I'm triggered, right? So so this is like a move you can make in a situation when you're triggered, and sometimes for some people it's helpful because it just offers another perspective, and then you can relax. But it, is, um, uh, but it is a quick fix. And so you can you will have to keep doing that because in my experience, it doesn't get to the root of the matter unless you do a thorough in- right. inquiry. So, so it can work in the sense that in the moment I get out of my s- triggered or stressful state and I get mm-hmm. back to a more regulated nervous system because I've just seen, oh, I don't know that this, I'm in this queue, q- um, Uh, basically parked on the highway and I'm busy have to get there on time it's going to be horrible when I don't come there and then just do the turnaround it's not going to be horrible it's going to be perfect that I don't come on time and then you find three examples why is it perfect I don't come on okay now I can relax a little more and oops the queue opened up and and off I go right Right. it can work but there is a much deeper much more interesting inquiry which is like the deeper layers of I have to be on time and it can't work without me. And what will people think if I'm late and uh, all of these stupid drivers on the road and all of that, thats all the richness of that will not be captured. And so however we put it, we can say, yeah, in a triggered state, there are many good ways of getting out of them. One is count to 10, one is take a deep breath, one is go for a walk. One is uh, like in the not so good category, there is eat something, drink something, uh, yeah, take a benzo, benzodiazepine take, t- Yeah, sure. Take something like that, <laughs> right? And and then and then there is, you know, push it away, use the work to push it away and stuff. And all of it can help us if we have to, if we need help in the triggered state. But it's not the work. The work is right. what you do when you then sit down afterwards in your meditation and you go deep with it and you and you actually inquire what was going yeah. on. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: And and that, the, yeah. Mm-hmm
1: sorry okay so much to talk about um, when you were just saying you know you, you go deep through the inquiry and earlier you had said that when you are facilitated by friends that um, 20% is words and 80% is just sitting in silence and um, so what I have found you um, both as a facilitator and a client, more as a client, is that if I sit silently, I get worried that the facilitator is, you know, like w- wondering when is this gonna be over or facilitators being impatient or, you know, th- everybody thinking, well, we only have an hour to do this. So I can't really sit for 10 minutes and think, is this true? And, um, and so my tendency, and I'm getting much better at it, has been boom, 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 boom. This is how I feel. This is what I feel. This is where it centers in my body. This is my future image. Yeah. Do you know? And so- um,
0: can, can, I, can I interject something? Yeah, can
1: you please say something with that? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: So what you do then is you're describing you're not experiencing.
1: Right. Well, oh, you're just right. putting
0: words to, I'm noticing this, 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 this. this. But you're not in the moment actually experiencing what's going on for you, and if you don't have that layer of experiencing, then there will be no shift in your nervous system because it needs experience to change. So, so none of what you do will get any deeper than intellectual understanding or knowing, which is sometimes, you know, we, we've all tried that, and we know the frustration of knowing all the right things and then doing doing the old stuff anyway, right? And that uh-huh. that's a typical sign that you've been just describing things as you did the work and not actually going through like really anchoring the experience in, in an embodied in an embodied way. And and as you say, sometimes there is only an hour or half an hour or 20 minutes. And, and of course of course we of course it makes sense to adjust how long time we spend a, a bit with the, the, the time we have available. And at the same time, I would say, there is, there is still it's still, for, for me the work consists, one way to describe the work is that it's five little meditations, or big meditations, however we put them. But the first one is the meditation on uh, um, what am I actually believing? Going into the situation and that would be filling in a worksheet or a list or Mm -hmm. identifying what are the beliefs that I have. And that's a meditation on it in its own right. And then the second meditation is this question, is it true? Which comes twofold. Is it true? Can you absolutely know that it's true? So that's a meditation of its own. And then question three is its own meditation. How do you react? What happens when you believe that? Question four is its own meditation. Who would you be without the thought? And then the turnarounds are its own meditation. So there are these five faces or, 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 or individual meditations that like strings, pearls on a string, uh-huh. makes a complete work process. And, right. and you, you, can, you can be more or less thorough in each of these five meditations, we can say. You can do them a little quicker or you can use them to really do a deep dive. But there is a minimum requirement in each of them before you can move on. And, and one of them that's, that's easy for most people to understand, I think, is the question four. Who would you be without the thought? Which is sometimes difficult to get into,
1: right? Especially right.
0: if you've been really deep in experiencing uh, your reactions to believing it, then it, it can feel like a very big movement into who would you be without the thought. And so, what some people do is they 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 sort of fake it in a way, fake it with themselves, or 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 like, yeah, they they just imagine it. They become descriptive, like like we just talked about, instead of actually okay. embodying the experience. But if you haven't embodied, if you haven't experienced it in question four, you're not ready to move on yet until you've right. done that. So, so that's the minimum requirement that you actually get in. And in question four, it would be get in and, and, and have an inner experience of who you would be without the thought. And no words are gonna save you from that. And sometimes we can do that in two minutes. And then then we have done the minimum requirement there. And sometimes it may take 10 minutes before you even get in there. And sometimes it takes half an hour and there are obstacles in the way you have to work around those. And there can be a lot of work to get into that experience. But until you've been stepped into it, you're not ready to move into the turnarounds in in the process. So if time runs out and you're still in question one, is it true? (laughs) Basically, and you haven't really gotten in there and found out is it true or not for you, then that's where that session ends, because yeah. to then push forward and just push through question two, three, two, three, four, and into the right. tr- is a kind of short circuiting, because we, the, the 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 key ingredient is missing. So in that right. way, yes, we can be mindful of how long time do I spend, but but when I do my own work, I would never move on until I have an actual experience and and I hold the same space for my clients Um, and I will help them in in any way as I help myself. And sometimes there are obstacles in the way. And then underlying beliefs, for instance, as we talked about before, and then we will look at those. Those are some of the sites, like the the road is blocked in the cave. We have to look for it. We know we want to get into that other cave. And usually we go through this opening, but now there's been like a crash and it's closed. So we have to find another way in, but to skip it completely, And just try to jump to what's on the other side of that is going to be pseudo. It's going to be just imagined in the head. It's not going to be us actually bringing ourselves there.
1: Yeah. I love that you said if you take a half an hour to figure out whether it's true or not and the session has to end, then that's the end. That's the session.
0: That's the session. And it's truly valuable. You you will have discovered so much in that half hour that is all relevant. It's not like yeah. we have to get to the end necessarily. I mean, it's the most right. fulfilling thing. And, and when we step into it, something opens. And it's nice to get to the end in that window of a couple of hours. When we start simulating a situation, our nervous system becomes ready for change. And, and so we have a window of two to three hours where that can happen. And so it's nice to get to the end. But, but staying in question one for that time is also relevant to change. And then we'll have to open it again anew next time, next week, tomorrow. Uh,
1: mm-hmm. at the next. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah.
0: And it can be very valuable to sit for half an hour or an hour in that in that question.
1: Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um it 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 can be common I think that a facilitator has an agenda mm-hmm. or a projection mm-hmm. uh during a facilitation. And so how can how can a facilitator diminish um Dimin- how can that first of all diminish the facilitation and what are the skills for the facilitator to notice their own projection or agenda so that it, it doesn't diminish the facilitation?
0: Um, well, the, 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 the most, the easiest I think to listen for or look for So what happens if we have an agenda or a motive or or a projection is that, so what that means is I'm facilitating you in something and whatever you're working on pushes some buttons in me and activates my own inner uh, story about that, which is fine. It's good. It allows me to to, uh, connect with you and connect with your story that I have. I can find the similar thing in me but sometimes it'll take over so much and th- there will be a point where the path you're on in your, in your experience and story and what you're working and, and what I'm working actually moves away from each other. Right. And, and, and at that point, of course, the, the purpose is that I stay with you because it's your work, not that, that you have to accommodate to my needs, uh, which would be my projections on, on something. Now, an example of what might happen there if I'm not that experienced is, that an advice shows up right and i want to give that advice or push that advice on my right. clients right in a in a in a milder version that could that could be like i think it would be very relevant to look into this cave here right mm-hmm. that feels very relevant to me that we look into that cave and i can't and and this is the tricky part i can't know whether that idea is coming out of a strong projection that isn't relevant for you or coming out of this mm-hmm. resonance and this, this sense of traveling with you. So, so in both cases, I might suggest, let's look into this cave, right? Let's, let's examine this element, like what was your relationship to your father really like? What, 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 what role does he play in this scene that we're working on? Mm-hmm. Because I have issues with my father and, and you're actually working on your mother, which is way more relevant for you. But I think the father figure is so important. That's what I'm projecting on you. So I asked there. Now that's when I can find out because you might then go there and look and then in one way or another report back to me, yeah, that doesn't feel very relevant to look at him. Let's stay with my mother in in some form. You wouldn't say it like that. You would say, yeah, I don't feel a lot. It's more, I feel the guilt towards my mother. That's when you as a facilitator would then have to abandon immediately abandon that, that course or that direction. And, and go back to, okay, you want to look at your mother, let's continue to look at your mother. And, and how you feel that you're in this projection state is when you then won't let go, when you, when you become insistent that we should look at this father thing. Right? right? Now that doesn't even mean that it, it couldn't be true. It might be true that there is a relevant thing there for the client. You know, Maybe you, out of your experience, you having worked so much, can see that this situation is actually way more about pleasing your father than being annoyed with your mother, and you're just trying to take his side in this discussion or whatever. Mm-hmm. Let's say you're completely right in that. Still, if your client can't see that, then it's not relevant. And you don't have to push that agenda on them. They will see that in due course. They will see that when- You don't time. have
1: to get them to see it.
0: No, not at all. On the contrary, you go with them. So, so the key uh, the key thing there is, are you able to follow your client wherever he or she goes, or are you leading in a, in a demanding way? So even when we do lead, and we do lead sometimes, because in this example, something comes up about that father. So let me try to lead you in that direction. But am I leading you by taking an iron grip and forcing you over there? Or am I gently holding your hand and saying, hey, let's go look over here. And if you then pull the other way, I immediately let go and move with you in that other direction.
1: Right.
0: So we could say the, the, the skill is to hold, hold yourself and your client lightly in, in, these, in these things. And how, you, how what, what to be aware of is when you feel... That something is necessary or required there is this inner sense of urgency or demand that we do we must look at this that's a clear sign that that now you are getting yourself into this
1: Uh, and and if you're aware you can ask I think yourself what is my motivation precisely for wanting to go into this yeah, or even
0: you can you can but but sometimes it's not relevant in that situation to ask for the motivation because I'm I'm facilitating you. I can't start doing separate work on my own. But but what 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 I found was that whenever something came up like that, I would be in doubt. Whenever I was in doubt, is this me that wants this or is this relevant right, to the facilitation? Right. I would just let it go and again trust that if it is relevant, we will get to it further down the road. Yeah.
1: Well, isn't that doubt? wondering what your motivation is whether it's about you yeah or-
0: okay wondering in the sense that I'm aware yeah. that I might have a motivation here what, what I in yeah. was I don't want to start looking at what is my motivation
1: right you don't want to take yourself out of the facilitation no I,
0: I don't want to start and diving because- into me no no I'll, right. I'll, but I might right. make a note of it like the father here and then in my own work later that that day I might sit down and then work on what was going on in me in that moment that where it felt that it felt so important and in that I make my clarity on was it me was it something relevant for the client perhaps was it me thinking I need to help this person like it can even open for other underlying beliefs that are relevant to work through yeah. so 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 again holding it very gently even when you lead you can lead a little bit or suggest or invite into something but but you have the readiness to let go the moment the client doesn't want to go there and if you in any way feel an urgency or like a, a desire or a craving to go somewhere be, turn on all the the sensors and become very aware of right. what's going on and if you are in doubt about what your motivation is just leave it just step out of right. it because chances right. you you'll you'll be pushing too much okay
1: yeah listen to yourself yeah and
0: and then i i just want to offer this last possibility if you're really if you're really in doubt and you really think there could be something here that's important. Like if you're really thinking that, but I don't know whether it's me or, or her. Then you can share it openly. You can say, mm-hmm. you know, I keep I keep wanting you to look at your father. And I can't figure out whether that's just me or whether it's relevant. But now I'm going to offer it to you. Like, would you like to look at your, do you think, do you think there's anything there? And then the client might say, yeah okay, well, we can take a look. If you feel it, let, let's look at it. Or they might say, no, I'm very clear. It's not where it is. And then you can then let it go. Now you have then given it a check, but right. not in a, in a secretive right. manipulative agenda motive driven way, but in a very clear way, like this keeps coming up for me. Do you want to look at it? And if they say no, good, leave it, move on. It's very clear. Right,
1: right, yeah. right, good, good. Yeah. Um, so the ego is discussed a great deal in the work. Uh, yeah. And I would like to know your take on the ego.
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um uh, I smile because I, I think you've you've heard me talk about that before.
1: <laughs> and I'd like to I'd like to hear it again.
0: Um yeah, well um i find that in the sort of contemporary spiritual self-development world whatever that is this this notion of ego is present and 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 i find that in many cases there are some ideas or underlying beliefs or understandings that even if we don't even if we don't like even if we know that's not how we're supposed to view it, we still view it as an opponent or, or uh, like an opposite, like someone, something, some part, some energy that is against us uh, in our world. And, and, and then we say, no, we have to love the ego and accept the ego, but there is this underlying idea that we need to get it out of the way so that we can get to that, what we started with, this this highly enlightened spiritual place that we want to go with, right? Right. And the ego is the enemy in that way. And if we can just kill that thing, then we are free to to be this perfect person. So so there is uh, an aggression towards this notion of ego. That's, That's like, that's one thing to hold around it. And the other thing is that in that process, in that narrative, we could say, we, we, have, we create this idea, we, we sort of make a, almost a person or, or like a, a, a self, um, a separate identity, which we call my ego, as if there is this other thing inside of me that, that lives there in a way and has its own agendas and its own way. So we personalize it or identi- give it an identity. That's the other thing to hold that that I don't, that I don't see in my experience. So, 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 how I experience this notion of, that we call ego and I, and I rarely use the word myself and when I do, I always sort of asterisk it and, and, and sort of add things because it conjures up this idea of, of this fundamental opposer to my journey to watch freedom. Um, to me, ego is nothing other than strategies that are no longer serving us. So we have, we have so many strategies that we've built through life. Just like, how do I, how do I make a plate of food? It's, it's based on strategies. I take the, the plate and then I take the, the thing and then I butter it and then I do the thing. And then I'm like, how do I make a sandwich, right? There's a strategy for that. And we're not, we're not uh, upset about that because it serves us. It's nice, right? The same thing, how do I, how do I behave in a social situation in a way that is acceptable and, and kind to others? All of that are are, are strategies that we've learned and perfected over time and and that we're with. Now, some of those strategies that we learn, we we learn because they serve us at the time. For instance, um, uh, I must please others in order for them to like me, right? That's a strategy that we that we can learn in, in growing up. So, so in our childhood environment, that's what we are being shown by our adults, either through role modeling or through them demanding that of us in order for us to, for them to give the, give us their love. And when we are three, four, five years old, we really need their love. This is survival level because human beings cannot survive on their own at that age. They need, so we're willing to go to enormous compromises. Uh, on our own integrity, in order to retain or keep the love from these from these um, close close grown ups, so so we may set up the strategy that says, "Oh, I, I must be pleasing, then people will like me." So we make that decision at at f- four years old, um, and then now we're uh, thirty or forty uh, years old. And we are still running that strategy because that's what we learned. And it's it's sort of served us along the way. We've run into some trouble, but it hasn't really been bad because we found someone, a partner that, that works with that and everything's good. But now we have a boss at work or something that's completely different and we are really getting into trouble with that strategy. And so, so now we have to look at it and we start looking at it and we realize that no, actually holding my ground is sometimes very important and setting clear boundaries. And even if that means being rejected, it's more important than to always uh, compromise and please. So at that point, we might say, oh, you know, I have, I'm su- there's a part of me that's just such a pleasure. It's like my ego doesn't want, it wants everybody's love approval and, and um, uh, appreciation. And so if it just would stop doing that, right? And we are, we are, we are creating, and, and then along with a few other strategies, we sort of stitch together an idea of this ego character. Now, how I would like to view it is different. I would say, Okay, so we learned a good adaption strategy when we were four years old and it really worked and it was very, very intelligent. We would have died possibly, or at least been broken right. if we hadn't done that adaption. So that's intelligent. And we made a decision, I will be pleasing. And what's amazing is that for 40 years, something in us has been able to keep that up under all circumstances, no matter how hungry, how tired, how under pressure we were, there would be this part of us that would keep watch and keep, keep going to that decision we'd made. I must be pleasing. I must be nice to others no matter what. I can't say no. I have to be nice and kind mm-hmm. at all times. It's, ama- it's, it's such an amazing thing that we humans can do that and that there are parts of us that will take it on them to keep that up for 40 years, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, you know, however, 52 weeks a year or, or whatever it is. It's incredible for 40 years. And so to then now we realize it's no longer time to to run that program or to to have that strategy. Okay. Let's gently let it go, but we don't have to hate it. It is an accomplishment. It's an amazing feat. And it's just as good as the other good strategies we have for making sandwiches or, or acting, you know, truthfully or being authentic or, you know, whatever it is. It's the same. It was good at the time. The only problem is we've outgrown it or, or the world around us, it match doesn't match anymore the world of a four year old so so holding is holding it as something that's wrong something that should that is an opposer something is going the wrong way about it and it just starts a war an internal war where, where we demonize and make an enemy out of support structures that we have installed ourselves right. and that are serving right. us so to see it in that different light to to see it from how is it actually trying to help me how is this right. Intelligent and kind, and an attempt to support me. And and for me, it was a huge shift when I when I really realized that all these things I do do, are kindnesses. It's it's like it's attempts to support me. And some of them can be a little misguided. This is is why I love to say that thing, right? That uh, there is no evil, only badly executed kindness. Right. So even when I do apparent evil acts, or you do apparent evil acts towards me. The truth is, this is these are survival strategies, adaption strategies that you are playing out unconsciously because you haven't brought them into awareness and really questioned them. And, and it's not evil. It's just you trying to be kind to yourself, but kind in a way a four-year-old would be in a complicated environment. And that means you yell at me, or it means you push me away when you would really want me to come closer, or it means even more horrible things. You, you, you become physically violent or something. And we say, oh, he's evil, no. No, it's just badly executed kindness. So, so for me, it, it's been become like a love affair with the ego, sort of like oh, sweetheart. Like I, I've, I've, I've pushed you out so much, and now it's the one long living turnaround or amends towards these parts of me that I have that I have shamed so much um, that I'm bringing back and saying you can be here. It's okay. You're scared now. That's fine, and you're welcome as you are, and when you're ready, yeah. let's look at whether this thing you're so scared of is actually still relevant, and I'm here for yeah. you to support you in that. Yeah,
1: so it it's becomes beautiful. This,
0: yeah, it becomes this loving, kind approach to this so-called ego, which is not an entity. It is simply a, a, a combination or a complex of different strategies that work together and support each other, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Yeah,
1: that's a lovely way of looking at it, Yeah, I, I think so, yeah. Um, My next question is, I've I've heard the term living turnaround, and that this is taking a turnaround uh, to the self of a stressful thought, such as, he doesn't treat me well, and then that becomes, I don't treat myself well. And then you make a list of all the ways that you can treat yourself well, and that becomes your prescription for living. Yeah. And What do you think of that as a tool?
0: I think, as everything that that Katie has brought into the work, it's based on her experience. It, It like even the school is is simply built structuring her process and and her her experiences and 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 the living turnarounds is part of that. And so when Katie, when Katie introduces some things and when she talks about also not being in other people's business or, or any of these terms, they are descriptive in the sense that she's explaining how the world feels for her and, and living turnarounds that come up for her. And the danger is that we take some of those statements and we make them prescriptive. So mm-hmm. we think, oh, I have to be that way. I have to think that way, but we are not thinking that way we are trying to force it upon ourselves to think that way. And we, yeah. we're trying to live up to a certain way of thinking that hasn't grown organically out of us, but we are putting right. it on ourselves to try to behave that way. And that goes back to then repressing, pushing into the shadow. Yeah, oh,
1: that's good, yeah.
0: Yeah. So, yeah. so, so um, the living turnarounds for me is, is, is an example of that. I, um, I've always found it tricky territory Mm-hmm. because i do find that living turnarounds show up for me but they show up organically and and one example that that is that uh, I, I i remember it, it was just such a clear process i was going for a walk in the forest and there was this woman who was picking up trash and putting it in the trash can all around and i remember looking at her and thinking oh my god what what a sad life to to be picking up trash and putting it in the trash she must be like almost neurotic to to do that that's that's like oh, I'm just walking here enjoying and I'm above being bothered by trash because I don't mm-hmm. see it as trash. They're just like leaves for me on this high-flying thing. Right? This, was, <laughs> this was early on. So, so I'm, 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 I have those judgments. Then I was on a holiday and I was, there was this beautiful ocean and I was going out into it and I had cut myself on a stone so I had a, a Band-Aid on the, on the toe and I thought I should remove that. It probably goes, falls off in the water. But I was too lazy to do that. So I just went out and I did my swimming and stuff and it was wonderful and the water was beautiful and it was nice. And then I came back up and it wasn't there, of course, the Band-Aid had gotten off in the water. And I realized, I felt the deep sadness in that. And I realized my laziness has just put this Band-Aid into the, the ocean where, you know, a fish might eat it or it'll, it'll, I'm, I'm supporting right. this pollution thing. And I felt really, really Horrible. And I realized I can't, there's, I can't go find that bandaid out there. There's no way it's, it's gone. It's out there, but I have put it there. Right. And so as I came home from that, I saw trash lying on the street and I picked it up. And yeah. it became my amends, it became my turnaround. And I did it for a long time. I, do, I don't do it very mm-hmm. often anymore. I do it sometimes, but I don't do it often anymore. But for a long time, I, would, I, would, I became the guy who picked up trash. And every sure. time it was, it was because I couldn't, I couldn't get that Band-Aid out of the ocean and I so wanted to. I just so mm-hmm. wanted to undo that thing I'd done and so now I found this is the best, this is second best, but it's the best I can yeah. do. I can, I can clean up this stuff in nature. And, and yeah. that was, and I carried that for years, like a, a, an ongoing immense. But it wasn't mm-hmm. a decision I made during my work to, oh, now I have to be this way with myself because right. it doesn't, it, that's pushing it on top, right? It right. grew out organically. So I think it's wonderful that Katie has introduced this and has pointed at this can happen. And when it does, you know, go with it, move with it. Don't be surprised by it. This is a living turnaround. But to then take that and make it prescriptive and say, every time I do the work, I must find a turnaround. And then I must live that turnaround. It's, it's going to be, you know, it's just more stress. It's no different than, than, than positive psychology and saying, oh, now I have to think this way instead. Well, good luck with that. You know? Um, so it becomes more stress. It's, 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 um, it's, it's, um, What's it called when you continue something? It's, well, anyway. Continual?
1: Con- yeah,
0: well, it's continuing <laughs> this aggression towards ourselves. Saying, perpetuating? Perpetuating this aggression, thank you. Yeah. I should be better. I'm not good enough. Mm-hmm. I must change myself. It's back to this, this notion of, of loving what is, which is me with all right. my faults.
1: Right, Instead of yeah.
0: No, I have to change myself. By, by imposing enough living turnarounds on myself, I can... I can control myself into becoming that perfect human being. No, yeah. no. Yeah. Love what is. And if what is is a deep pain that you have done something to someone and you've really seen that you hurt them or that you put band-aid in the ocean or whatever it is. Yeah. Then then there is a caring for that, a loving that part, which cannot be yeah. done by finding the, the band-aid. And this person may be dead, the person you hurt or talked to. So so the only the second best option is to than be kind to the other people, or to pick up. Yeah, whatever.
1: right, right. Yeah. yeah, I haven't heard that um, that response to living turnarounds before. I think it's great and <clears throat> provides quite a bit of relief.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: I, I, gotta, I gotta say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh,
0: and what was it? I just posted that the other day, Meister Eckhart, a quote. If it, if it, I don't remember. I think it was peace. But we can use it in this context. If it doesn't bring relief, it's not from God.
1: Yeah, oh, that's beautiful.
0: Yeah. Anything that, that, that will, will perpetuate the sense of sinning or doing it wrong cannot be from, and I use God now, this is Meister Eckhart, but we could say the totality or awareness or the universe or like my true self. That would never put on more stress. So if you experience a living turnaround as stressful, You can know that it is not from God. It is. It is not. uh, Yeah.
1: Thank you for answering all my questions. Yeah. Thank you so much. Such a joy. Thank you for
0: your wonderful questions and. uh, You're welcome. For wanting to do this. Thank you. The work of Byron Katie is copyright by Byron Katie International. You can read more on www.thework.com. For more podcasts like this one, videos with tips and tricks, articles on the work and online courses, visit theartofbeinghuman.com. And feel free to contact me if you have any questions or comments to this podcast. You can find my contact information on theartofbeinghuman.com or you can simply send an email to ernest at theartofbeinghuman.com. Thank you for listening.